I am Anuli Akinabu, and you are listening to the Black in Real Life podcast. You're golden, you're so golden. What you got, you're the golden child. I see forever between you and me, forever between us. Our social interactions as humans require a fair share of performance. This is the part where that famous line from Shakespeare's comedy, As You Like It, is usually quoted. All the world's a stage, and all the men and women, merely players. Whether you are an influencer or not, your interactions require that you play, that you perform. Today's guest, Salim Singleton, says that performing self-care online is one of the ways that he honors himself. Salim Singleton is a Brooklyn-based men's skincare and beauty advocate and content creator. He's currently a contributing writer for Birdie.com and represents as part of their Birdie Boy franchise. A native of Philadelphia, Salim grew up expressing himself through acts of beauty and personal style. He also discovered his interest in media early on and has since combined his passions. His goal is to contribute to the inclusion of Black men's voices in the beauty industry. Remember, at the end of each interview, I will come back to share a few key takeaways that stood out to me from our conversation. These takeaways will be supplemented with research from both academic and non-academic sources to add further context to subjects that were brought up in the interview portion. For every episode, I will include citations to reference materials I mention, as well as some additional background reading for you on the Black in Real Life website. Visit www.blkirl.com to nerd out. Okay, now without further ado, let's get into my conversation with men's skincare and beauty advocate and content creator, Salim Singleton, also known as The Method Male. I actually read an article that you wrote for Birdie about how beauty became your form of self-expression. So I wanted to start by asking you um, about some of the things in that article, because I do think that they are important and grounded in our conversation. So one of the things that struck out to me is how you wrote about your first trip to the dermatologist when you were in high school. And that was a time when you were dealing with skin issues as you know teens do. I definitely did. And one thing that struck me was your retelling of the experience, you you had to lean on skincare advice from magazines like Seventeen, which are predominantly catered to girls and women. And you wrote, um, you know, although the magazines were mostly geared towards girls, I was somehow able to see myself within that aspirational space. So my question for you after that preamble is, as someone who is now known as the method male, how are you able to see yourself in an aspirational space that may not have been made for you? How, how am I now? Well, how were you back then uh, able to see yourself? Okay. Well, you know, I think the, the first thing is, is a lot of what that piece was about was essentially survival tactics for a young kid growing up in poverty who was being, you know, it was being projected upon me, you know, what my lifestyle may have been like, you know, whether the calling you gay or calling you feminine thing. So it's essentially for me about um, my identity. So I think I've always used my imagination to survive. And I, and I, when I saw that world and I, and I, and I saw things that I wanted to be a part of, like being young and, 
on TV and not in the projects and not poor and not bullied, um, I, was able, I, I, I was able to see myself in a quite literal sense. I, and the way that it connects to now is that I, when I didn't see any young black guys, I saw young black guys. And that's the only reason I was able to pursue a lot of the different things that I have in my life, like college or you know, going into public relations, even at one point pursuing music in a, in a certain genre that wasn't predominantly black. So I think for me, it was about having a really strong will and a really strong imagination. And I knew that what I saw in the mirror wasn't, it wasn't so much about acne as it was about really me wanting to feel attractive and me wanting to feel beautiful at a really young age. And I think what I saw that was geared towards women, I, I refused to deny myself to be a part of it. So I think I just kind of interjected any money that I made you know, like I said in the article, I would go, I would walk to the path market maybe two miles away from my house and buy Clearasil, Noxzema, you know, you name it. And, that, and, and I don't know how at that age I was able to select those things for therapy or for self-identification. But, I, but I, if I had to simplify it, I would say it was, it was a, my will and my imagination and how I used that to survive where I was at that time, which was a place I didn't want to be. And I also didn't want to be teased. And I also didn't want to consider myself to be ugly or unattractive. And skincare was something tangible that I could purchase that at the time was marketed to me in a way that made me feel everything would be better. And I had to be a part of that. And you also, in that article, you went on to write that like over time, your commitment to skincare became a defining characteristic for you. So could you talk about that? Like what does the skincare and the rituals involved in it mean to you as a person? Very, very early. I think when I was that kid on the, on the front step with the mint julep mask on, I think eventually like my male friends, maybe not in a scale that they would now, but the, I would get little questions, and this is a funny story. I was selling like wave kits in first grade. Like, what? Really, <laughs> I, I, I always tell this story. I don't know why I'm not like a big entrepreneur. I used to sell wave kits. So I think in retrospect, I've always in some way, shape or form identified with that, what we now know as the beauty world. So I think people started to immediately associate me with how much I love skincare products, um, how much I love media, what it means to me now, maintenance and self-care. Although I use beauty as the platform, I like to look at what I'm doing on a personal level as what I'm performing is the physical manifestation of all of the self-work that I've done in my adult life. And I think my performance of the maintenance of my body is me honoring myself. Uh, and, and it's something that essentially what the method mail is about. The method itself is about the steps that you take to become the fully realized man that you want to be, which for me was the root of this idea. Going to the therapist and just really talking about, I want to be, I want to be, I want to be, and, and I would leave and realize like, oh, I, let, let me start to emulate these habits that I would go and tell my therapist I wanted to have. Then I would go back in and say, oh, hey, you know, I went and bought that camera. Oh, hey, I went and started to journal. And the method comes from method acting. And it's this idea that an actor takes on a character and for a certain period of time, he never takes it off. He becomes that character. So self-care for me and how it pertains to the method male on a personal level is about me. It's a, it's a ritual that I use to become as close, as, as close an idea of the man that I would love to be 
as possible, if that makes any sense at all. That's actually really interesting, especially the part where you mentioned method acting, because now I'm wondering, where does Salim start and method male begin? Like, is it the same person or are there differences? <laughs> really interesting question. Actually, um, no, there, you know, there, there's no one, the secret is there is no one method male. And, I'm, and, I, and I, in the future, I would love for the method male to be a brand and not just something that's applied to me. But right now, it is an extension of who I am. On social media, there's, and even throughout the years, there are so many parts of my life and myself that I haven't shared, that I don't share. On my Instagram page, there are no mentions of me going to restaurants or going on a date or people that I hang out with. So I do like to think that the Method Mail is, um, it's a, it's not a character, but I like to, when I step into the studio or the studio mindset, when that camera is on, my job is to communicate my journey through self-care and reflect that back to the people that are watching. And so I like to leave as much Salim out of it. So it's a part of me, but it's, it's not the wholeness of me. Salim is a lot more complex, a lot darker, uh, a lot more cynical, a lot more um, cerebral and deliberate in a lot of things, um, overthinking. Whereas the method male, I, li- I like to keep as much of that dialogue out of the equation and just get straight to the performance of self-care. And how did you go about establishing those boundaries for yourself when you started producing content online? It, it comes very natural to me. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm a Gemini, you know, and I, I think it's a lot of cliche things to be said, but I think creative Geminis tend to be very deliberate in our mutability, like it's code switching. And I know from, it's, it's really weird, like the affect that I have on camera by myself in my apartment versus me talking to you now or even with a friend. So I, I don't know if it's so much something that I have to think about. I know that, you know, like for, there, are, there are tangible things like I'm not going to be doing too much cussing. I'm not going to be using no N-words. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be talking about my personal dating life or drama. Um, I, I recently decided not to complain about brands at all because I, I now realize I can't do that. So it's weird. The, the method male space is almost sterile compared to if Salim had an Instagram page. And you did that on purpose. Yeah, I do it on purpose. Yeah. Absolutely. This this was a when I started, um it it hit me in twenty fourteen, literally. Well, not literally, but it what had hit me is that this was this was my purpose. I was in this apartment, I was standing right over there, and I remember I was coming up with the idea for the method mail and I, when the name was finalized and it was this rush and I had this vision and, and it was not plain words, but what I felt it was telling me, lean into this, like this is what you're supposed to be doing. I spent so many years not seeing black men on YouTube, not being able to relate to the black men I saw on YouTube, not being able to use products that were being used in this new gold mine of content. So on one hand, I knew that I wanted to make content, but on another, I felt like this could be my career. But it wasn't until 2017 when I decided to use Instagram that I became more consistent. You know, once I decided to use my page to create my videos from that day forward, which may have been November 2017, I completely stopped communicating as Salim. Although I still have years worth of posts left down there, a lot of that stuff, a lot, like, I was doing like a lot of like really, um, you know, like... Uh, cryptic stuff but not in a negative way that's just my form of art it just and it just be, i knew now i'm getting to what, what you're asking 
I knew that when I started this, that my goal, I, I felt very strongly in 2017, if I start doing this, this could be my job. And I had all of these goals, you know, the cliche stuff like, oh, I have my own products. I'll do all of these collaborations. I would have never known that I would have, you know, become a writer or um, a copywriter or consult brands. But I knew that I wanted what I was doing on my page from 2017 on to be about business. And I knew that I was building a brand. I, I definitely want to get more into the career part. But before that, I'm curious, when you, your Instagram page, mm-hmm. before it was Salim and now it's the Method Mail. So you didn't create a new page. You just like added to the one you already had that was personal. But now you went to like a more like professional persona. Yeah. How did that feel? Like you're like evolving into a new person. I've done it a lot. You know, I came to New York as one guy that nobody called me Salim until maybe 2014 or 15. When I came to New York and maybe or started to hang out in New York, 05, 06, blah, 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 blah. I was a whole other in the Afropunk scene, Mm. you, you know, expressing myself through music. So I say that to say I had already reinvented myself back into Celine for the first time in New York once I decided to stop pursuing that form of expression. I went back into PR and totally had to flip my mind all over again from artist life and all that comes with that. So shifting into the method mail, one, I had a lot of preparation because I started in 2014 and was dabbling. And then two, um, this is what I want. So I just, I, I ordered all of this stuff. You, you know what I mean? Like I, I've written this stuff down I, I, I came up with the name Domestic Mail. I, I came up with this kind of like tagline, creating a lifestyle for the man in progress. I knew that I wanted to be on a GQ level of um, being trusted by men for information, but I had no idea how I was going to get there. The only thing that I can tell you for sure is that between 2017 and now, the only thing I didn't do was stop because I had plenty of times where I'm like, what am I doing? Nobody's watching these videos. I wasn't doing it to make money, but I have to go make money. So I can't be home going through a lot of craziness, a lot of self doubt, feeling invisible, uh, using brands and them not even acknowledging that I was using their stuff. You know, not, not asking for emails, you know, like it. I was going through that for a long time, but I kept going because I knew I, and and I'll, I'll call it like the, it's, it's just like the, the craziness that comes along with being an artist. You have to ride that wave of doubt and feeling like what you're doing makes absolutely no sense. And I, and I think the only reason that I stuck through all of that is because I knew that I wanted this to be my career and I knew I wanted to build something bigger than myself out of this. So what is that impact that you want to make? I, wanted, I, I would like to contribute to the normalization of Black men's inclusion into the conversation of, of beauty particularly is still such a loaded topic the word beauty gender expression the, the taboo behind that especially now with, with so much conversation going on everywhere i i don't profess nor do i seek to become an expert or a guru i would like to be able to be a voice a voice in this conversation within all of the um there, there, there are so many different levels within this larger conversation of men and self-care and men and beauty. If we just talk about self-care, we have to leave products aside and start talking about mental health, which is extremely important. Although it's 
often discussed and almost feels over discussed now, it's still something that's very new. And I find as a black man and as a queer black man that my brothers are hurting and, and we need love, we need love from each other. And I found that performing beauty on Instagram has brought me closer to so many different men. Rappers, I'm talking about rappers who you go to their page and there's weed everywhere, contacting me, telling me their most intimate secrets about how they feel about themselves. And that is why I started this. And, and if there's any impact at all, it, it would be possibly, it would be my, if it's not big, my contribution to developing that space as well. Um, my, my goals are to have a show you know, I'd like to be, you know, a Martha Stewart type of guy. I would like to go into the skincare and the beauty, of course. But again, we have to broaden that conversation. There's the lifestyle, wellness element, mental health. And I have um, my own experiences within those things and also a lot to say. So I'd like to also create, and when I say brand, I don't mean like a lot of Instagram followers. I like for men, when they think about these things, to go to my website or to go to my Instagram, or to think about something that they learn from my platform or my show. And I like to do that for the rest of my life and have it shift as time. Like when I'm in my 70s, I, I wonder what that conversation would be like. And I definitely want to be here for that. The gender conversation is one, particularly in like the influencer marketing space. That is something that I'm particularly interested in as well. Because even in the like research for this podcast, it's hard to find men that actually acknowledge themselves in as an influencer or doing beauty or any of the anything that you do it's hard to find other men that like acknowledge that they they do it so one one thing i want to talk about is like language right like i even think about the phrase like male grooming and like how grooming in the aesthetic sense is associated with men but why is it called male grooming and not male beauty whereas the activities shaven, plucking, treason are grooming rituals that both men and women do, but they're called beauty for women and grooming for men. Like, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Okay. So while I'm just going to say this, I could never, or would, I, you can't take, especially black women, you, you, I can't exactly compare, I guess what I'm trying to say, while, while men really have a lot of growing up to do when it comes to our acknowledgement and care of women, we also especially black men, is, is very underlooked, the different traumas, trigger words. Um, you know, the other day I was on a Zoom, uh, on a FaceTime call, and I showed a, a guy my Telfar bag, and he said, why do you have a pocketbook? Mm. And that wasn't offensive, because it's like, okay, but that particular word is a, is a word that may have been used between the 70s and the late 90s by grandmothers who were raising their children's children and it was a word that was used to, quite frankly, to gender police the behavior of these little boys. And he had just in that moment projected that onto me. And it was a very specific word. I think that the marketing world and the product world likes to babysit men. And I, I, think, that, I, think, I think that companies think that men need to hear bro language. I think they, they need to hear a lot of really immature words. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying not to name any, any names, but I see a lot of YouTube ads that make commercials that are almost mocking of men. It, it's almost like you think that a man, in order for him to digest a bar of soap, that he needs a guy with a beard in this corny commercial that 
has no production value. And that's their idea of how to get a man's attention. And these companies spend tens of thousands of dollars to do this. So that's what they believe. My issue with that, if, if I'm not escaping your question, is we need to normalize men's inclusion in the beauty space, which includes using words like beauty as it pertains to men, not being afraid to, um, to teach men that these acts, as you said, those are, those are acts of beauty. And I know for myself, um, I, I make it, a, especially it's, it's a very new thing, and that's what being, being a method male is about, I'm learning as I go, is using this in my everyday language with my friends, with intimate partners, so that they also, it becomes normal to them that I use the word beautiful as it pertains to myself. Of course, you'll get those, oh, you know, you're cocky, but then that's an opportunity for me to say, actually, friend, no, that's not what it is at all. Let me tell you why, which is incredibly consistent with the work I do everywhere anyway, you know, all this preaching. So I think where we are is a space where masculinity is being protected and, and this this like really false construct that is being held on to. So a lot of this language is designed to make men feel like their masculinity is not being threatened. That's the problem. The solution. I find is, um, or at least through what I've done, is just putting the content out there and the men will connect with it. As I stated earlier, the, the messages that I get from different types of guys of different races of different ages, it's not even about me. They just needed and wanted the information. So the more normal it becomes, the more you will see men. Now we'll have to sacrifice what we consider to be masculinity. And a lot of us, will have to probably come to terms with the way men are going to perform in the future. If you look at Korea, for instance, there's a lot of uh, what people consider to be femininity, but a lot of these men identify as heterosexual. The good thing is there's not a toxic stigma that these men might be gay. They just are, they date, they, you know, they become stars or lawyers. I, I predict the future of America will be that way, but, but I think we're gonna have to still learn to let go of the construct of gender, particularly mm -hmm. masculinity. And, and I think the last thing I'll, I'll say about that is just, as a man, I feel so good about myself that I feel okay with the fact that I feel beautiful. And I've met so many men that are not gay that talk to me about beauty and use the word beauty. And we handshake and, it, and it's just like such an amazing exchange. And that's what we need more of. The problem with masculinity and marketing is that it's actually pulling us farther apart. And um, my goal is to help that conversation as much as I can. Do you believe that particularly beauty products should be marketed in a more gender fluid or genderless way? Because even on the women's side, there's definitely like a femininity that's performed to sell those products. I, I think, I think we, we, from a marketing standpoint, we should do what comes natural. I, I don't like the idea that we're, I, I don't like the idea of inclusivity and diversity because we shouldn't even be asking for these things in the first place. That's the first problem. And then, so I think that we shouldn't be creating reactionary marketing that now speaks to men. I think that we should, when we talk about a product, we're talking about how a product works on the skin. And I think that language has to become more, more generalized because we all have skin, right? And I, what I would like to see is more, I would like to see more dark-skinned women. I would like to see more dark-skinned women with, with tighter hair. 
I would like to see more dark skinned men. I would like to see the, the spectrum of shade and, um, and also gender. But to answer your question, I, I don't know if we need to go and rewrite marketing copy. I think we just, we may need to rely less on that people care about the gender language. Again, I, I mentioned men, but I also think that marketing thinks that we are, we can't make decisions without gender markers and we can. And how do you feel, like speaking of gender markers, how do you feel about the labels um, influencer versus content creator? Do you find them to be gendered in any way? Is there a preferred label that you go by yourself? I, I don't find them to be gendered. I, I, I prefer myself to, to be a content creator. It's, it's what I'm doing when I'm doing it. I'm, when I'm recording, when I'm editing, I'm creating content. I don't feel comfortable considering myself to be an influencer because I always say influencing what people to buy stuff. I don't, I don't like that. But isn't that Even what if, you do sometimes? Right. You just rep right. But to, but, but to say with a capital I that that's what I am doing. Uh, I, I don't know. That's what, that's what I, that's a part of what I'm doing and it is what I'm doing, but that's not what I am. Got it. I, I am content creating. Um, I think, I think it's a fair term. There are a lot of people out there that are killing it at influencing. I'm sure I'm, I'm influencing all the time, but I don't like being called an influencer. I find that to be pretty common in general, but also across like gender lines. But aside from that, like, why do you think there's a stigma with the term influencer? Because the, you know, these are terminologies that some company makes up or it's ours and then they take it and regurgitate it to us and, and monetize it. So I don't think it's so much the, the term, it's what it's become, influencer marketing. Like, oh, it's this thing now, you know, of this person who fulfills this function. And I think a lot of people might, might feel uncomfortable with, with that. And I, and I think a lot of people might feel it's pretentious. And it, it's really just bashfulness for the most part. But again, it's like in, influencing what exactly? And, and I also think a lot of people feel they don't have, if you're not talking to huge, huge people, you'll find that most micro-influencers don't really consider themselves to be influencers. I, I think it's just a, I think we're trying to hold on to our humbleness as, as long as we can before we have to just claim that we're influencing. And you consider yourself in the micro-influencer category since you just mentioned it? Yes, yes. And do you produce content or do like influence and work full-time? Yeah, I do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you know, that, well, Yes, I, what I Instagram makes makes me some money now. Um, collaborations. Instagram has also allowed me to do consulting. I'm now writing. Not only am I writing for Birdie, I just got. Um, I'm now contributing for AskMen.com. Which speaking speaking of all of some of these previous topics, that allows me to speak to in a completely different language than Birdie to a completely different demographic of men and women. Um, and then and, and now I'm copywriting, which once that floodgate is open, I can I can only imagine where that will go. But yes, Instagram allowed me to make content creating and influencing about beauty my job. I realized recently, actually through another interview, that Instagram is about to turn 10 this year. And I was like, where did the time go? Uh, tell me about yourself 10 years ago. Like, mm -hmm. would you imagine that you would be doing what you're doing now? Nope. 10 years ago, I thought that I was going to be a indie, alt-pop badass. 
making you know like making crazy videos and deep introspective dance pop music i had no idea i thought that maybe what i wanted was to do was to have my own makeup collections and i wanted to i wanted to see i don't want to use the word influence but i wanted what i was doing with my art and my music i remember always saying i want to look out in the crowd and see men in makeup and drag queens and people in cosplay so 10 years ago i had a whole different idea of what I was going to be putting out and, and what I was going to be getting back. I definitely wanted to have some influence over men, black men, being emotional and wearing makeup and being beautiful. But I had no idea I would be doing this. Where does that desire come from? I wonder, like, you know, there's a lot of people to just do their skincare routine and call it a day and move on about hmm. their business. Why put it online? Well, for me, I've, I've always wanted to be on the TV. I've, you know, I've, I've always been a writer. I've always been a storyteller. And, I, and going back to that childhood space, and if I could even go back to that first question, I, I even saw myself on the actual TV in the ad. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. as I got older and the world changed, and I knew, I was like, I remember as soon as I got out of college, I had a bunch of friends. We all wanted to go into filmmaking. I remember having a conversation with them saying, you know, like, you know, we might not go to Hollywood right away, but let's just shoot our own pilot ourselves. And then look at what everybody does now. And, I, and I'm, I'm mentioning that because I, I, I knew that I was going to get my foot inside of the media somehow. I went to college for PR because there was no film and PR made my ears stand up because I knew that that was the media. And the compromise was, no, I wasn't the client and I wasn't the star, but I was definitely in that mix. Same with going into production. I love a set. I love coordinating projects. I love the, even today, the hecticness of, of all of this. I definitely wanted to be on the screen. So I think when you, when you take the whole journey, it, for me, it's only natural to, to put myself in a space where I can be seen and heard because it's what I've always wanted to do. And when you combine that with what I really do feel is this is my purpose, it, I feel even more compelled to perform it, which is what I call when I'm recording it. Cause like when I'm doing it, I really am just doing my skincare, keeping it moving. But I put my heart into this content. And actually when I, right before I shot my first video, I was afraid to start. I was in a really dark place. And, and what I was afraid of was like that last shot where I smile and do the peace sign, whatever that was going to be. I was like, I'm going to do whatever this video is. And when it's time for me to smile at the end, it's not going to be real. Well, I went and did that video and that first smile and that first peace sign, I meant it. And I looked at myself and everybody, I'm rubbing an ice cube on my face. Everybody's like, oh my God, this is dope. I got to try this. And it hit me again. It was like, oh, all this time, all I had to do was start. So I I have to do this. I want to do this. And, you know, um, I do it on camera because my goal is is to turn this into a media platform. And, um, Hopefully in the future, there'll be other guys and, and, you know, I'll just be like, you know, like I said, like a Martha Stewart, it won't just be about me. I want the Method Mail to be a, a place, an idea, like the hair club for men. I'm not just the president. I'm also a member. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I, I do it for the camera because I, I want to leave a lasting memory of everything I've ever worked hard for in my entire life. Now I'm thinking about your younger self selling wave kits and how earlier you had said, you know, why didn't you become an entrepreneur? Do you feel like an entrepreneur? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. 
Absolutely. Especially now. It's everything's happening so fast. I, I even recently contacted a lawyer. Because right. it's it's so many things going on between, you know, I got this Polish I just got um this well, I don't know got one selected for a Polish choice program. I saw that. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. And it is so speaking of getting what you asked for, you know, in my application, I you know, I was like, well, I didn't know nothing about no money. They say it paid. I'm like, cool. I didn't know what that meant, but I knew what I said. I was like, I want to show. I mm-hmm. like I, I know I'm writing for Birdie and everything, but you know, for me, that's not the extent of where I would like to to hold my conversation. Now that I got it, it's almost I have everything I need to make that next step to materialize what it is I want to show everyone. Uh so I'm, I'm always losing the, I'm, it'll get to me. But um, what was the question? One more time, I almost lost it. If well, you see yourself as an entrepreneur. Ah, yeah, yes, I do. And, I, and, I'm, and I find, thank you. I found that I, what, even if I didn't, I have to. That's what I was getting to. Because when, quite frankly, I, and, I, and I know you wanted to talk real anyway, when money starts changing hands and mm-hmm. invoices start getting paid, you know Uncle Sam going to come calling. You cannot claim that stuff all you want. He's going to see these transactions. It would behoove you, me, to, you know, form it. This won't be my first LLC, but to form an LLC and, you know, take all of those steps. Obviously, all of those things that people think of um, have, you know, my LLC, my DBA. Also, I'm, I've, I've always been planning to have a, a back-end creative agency. So that's something that I, that I don't know when... That's something that I could share or, or, or take a client on, but I've been working on so many things on the back end. So it's, it's almost like everything came to me. And, and even if I didn't plan on being an entrepreneur, I have to. Um, I have to protect my name now. I have to, um, you know, everything from the, the URLs that I think of immediately go and buy them. I have to make sure that, you know, when I'm in a, in a store, that I'm not rude to the person because everybody in Bushwick knows everybody. So it's, it's, it's like I'm running a business now. When Even before COVID, when a person would come up to me and be like, are you that dude? I'm not all like, oh, you know, I'm smiling at them. I'm talking to them because this is a business. So yes, I do, whether I want to or not, have to see myself as an entrepreneur now more than ever. And I, and I think every content creator, every young or young at heart Black person that is creating something tangible should start to look at themselves as entrepreneurs as soon as possible because eventually it's going to go there and it's better to be ahead of yourself than the wave hit and you're like i don't have any contracts i have no clue what i want to what my rate is so yes that was my conversation with salim singleton also known as the Method Male. I want to focus today's takeaways on the theme of performance, since it is an important aspect of Salim's work as a content creator. Remember, for each episode, I will include citations to the reference materials I mention, as well as some additional background reading for you on the Black and Real Life website. Visit www.blk irl.com to nerd out. My own research positions influencing as a form of labor that involves particular notions about the presentation of self. I am inspired in part by the work of Irvin Goffman, 
who viewed social interactions as a form of performance theater. Irvin Goffman was a sociologist who pioneered the study of social interactions in everyday life. Following Goffman's lead in the context of this podcast, we can cast social media influencers as performers whose performances are guided by societal conventions and are informed by the expectations placed on their actions by others and themselves. Salim is a great example of this. In our conversation, he talked about his desire to normalize the conversation about men and beauty. We also talked about how he creates boundaries between his online persona, the method male, and who he is offline. He describes Salim as more complex and cerebral than the method male, whose actions are more informed to an extent by the expectations an influencer or content creator has to be a good partner to brands. For example, he shared that as a method male, he tries to refrain from cursing or publicly criticizing specific brands. This may differ from how other influencers or content creators maintain their online personalities, but these are choices that Salim made for himself and his online performances. These choices are elements of what Goffman would refer to as Salim's personal front. In the book, The Presentation of Self in Everyday Life, Goffman defines personal front as the items of expressive equipment that we most intimately identify with the performer himself and that we naturally expect will follow the performer wherever he goes. Goffman explains that elements of personal front include clothing, speech patterns, facial expressions, bodily gestures, and the like. Even the peace sign that Salim raves at the end of each of his videos on Instagram is an example of a personal front, which in our interview he admits to doing consistently in order to maintain brand recognition. I was particularly struck by the commentary that Salim made about gender and the ways that brands reinforce traditional gender roles to sell products through the implementation of reductive tropes. Our conversation about gender and Salim's goal to normalize the conversation about men and beauty makes me think about Judith Butler's essay about the ways that gender is constituted through performative acts. In this essay, Butler explains that gender is in no way a stable identity or locus of agency from which various acts proceed. Rather, gender is an identity that is tenuously constituted through a stylized repetition of acts. In other words, it is the stylization of our bodies through our everyday mundane gestures, movements, and enactments that contribute to the performance of a gendered self. Salim has a keen understanding of this. As he shared in our conversation, by performing beauty online over and over again, Salim makes it possible for other people, particularly men, particularly black men, to feel comfortable doing the same. As Butler writes, a constructed identity is a performative accomplishment, which the mundane social audience, including the actors themselves, come to believe and to perform in the mode of belief. In the case of Salim, performing beauty online allows him to accomplish two of his goals. The first goal, which is to honor himself, and the second goal, which is to inspire other men to honor themselves. To Salim, beauty isn't just for women. It is for everyone. 
Lastly, since I am talking about performance, I should talk a bit about the name Salim chooses to go by online, the Method Male. Salim's online persona, the Method Male, comes straight from the practice of method acting. According to Backstage.com, at its most simple, the method is an internal psychological technique that asserts an actor can train themselves under regimented practice to behave realistically under imaginary circumstances. As Salim tells it, he has essentially been a method actor since he was a kid, back when he used his imagination to insert himself in the pages of beauty magazines and television programs that were not necessarily made for him. The predecessor to method acting is the system, which is an approach to acting created by the esteemed acting teacher, Constantine Stanis Flasky. The system is a psychophysical model to acting that revolves around Stanis Flasky's concept of the magic if. Actors were encouraged to consider what they would do if they were in the circumstances of the characters they were playing. Stanis Flasky started teaching his system approach in 1909. Lee Strasberg, the famed acting teacher, developed his own version of the system in the 1920s, which has over time become the preference of actors who utilize the method acting approach. Some practitioners of the Strasberg method include Marilyn Monroe, Daniel Day-Lewis, Hilary Swank, and the late Heath Ledger. You have just listened to a production of the Black in Real Life podcast hosted by Anuli Akinabu, developed by Anuli Akinabu, scripted by Anuli Akinabu, edited by Anuli Akinabu, with research support by Anuli Akinabu. The music was graciously provided by Garth, whose single Wild can be streamed on anywhere you can find music. Thank you, and remember, the people you follow online are also Black in real life.